1: These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind, so when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company,
2: Golden, Colorado. This is Dave, and it's time for me to talk to you about hosting your own podcast with our distributor, Blue Wire Pods. And there's no better place to host than Blue Wire Hustle. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you wanna host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q and A's with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is you can get all of this for only $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So if you're ready to do more than just listening to me talk about your favorite team, then make your voice heard in hustle. Acceptance into the program is limited. So get your application in today to apply. Go to bwhustle.com forward slash join. Check out the description box in this episode to find out more, but that's bwhustle.com slash join. What's up, Road of His listeners? It's Colin Kelly here, executive producer of Road of His Radio and one of the
1: co-hosts of the Road of His Overtime podcast. I just wanted to drop by and say thank you, as always, for listening into another Road of His Radio production. As a loyal podcast listener, you can save yourself ten percent off a Road of His NFL pass right now at roadofhis. forward slash podcast or by simply adding the code rvradio Twenty Twenty One at checkout. That will get you access to all of the content and tools on the Road of His website, the best tools and content in the business. the best listeners in the business as always we do appreciate you listening to each and every show and if you do have five ten fifteen seconds to spare please drop a rating for today's show on your favorite podcast app it is much appreciated with all that said thank you once again for tuning in i hope you have a great day now let's get back to the show
2: is Devonta Smith too small? Is Mark Andrews an elite fantasy tight end? We're talking all that and more on Roto-Viz Radio. What's up, roto Welcome into the Rotoviz Fantasy Football Show. I'm Dave Cabin alongside Curtis Patrick. We are two of the owners here at Rotoviz. We have a fantasy deep dive in this episode. Lots more in store. Curtis, what is going on, my friend?
3: Not too much, man. Just uh out here living my life in central Ohio. Uh living my mantra, man. Stay positive, work <laughs> hard, make it happen. That's what I live my life by. And we're gonna do that on this show tonight. And I'm going to bring all kinds of positive vibes to this player that people are just trying to poo poo all over his college career just because of his belt measurement. And I don't really want to hear about it. Um, so let's just get right into the show, man. You, you, uh, had something there, a little sexy, a little provocative at the top of the show around Devonta
2: Smith's size. All right. That is the sound drop for. A fantasy deep dive, and we are going to go in and do a fantasy deep dive here on Devonta Smith's size. Now it's interesting because I am an extremely small person, as we have talked about on the show. Yet I have trouble not dinging football players for being small, which I would say you know part of the function generally of being a football player is you're either a massive human being or you are ridiculously athletic, and lots of times both. But I have been hearing two competing arguments. On Devonta Smith. The first being that he is of a size where you just don't see many players of that size in the NFL and that precludes him from having success in the NFL or being a round one rookie draft type of player. The other argument is, but he's an outlier. So that context doesn't matter. What I want to do quickly here, Curtis, is take a step back and talk about players of that size in the NFL and give some numbers for people to get their heads around this. Now, Friedman and I in the past had talked about Marquise Brown and why we were worried about his size. I will say that I think when I look at Devonta Smith's profile, I think to me overall, he's in a little bit different of a prospect like Brown, so I'm not quite as worried. Of course, Marquise Brown will come up in any comp that you look at when you're thinking about Smith, but here's the numbers, right? Since 2000, 72 players weighing less than 175 have logged games per the rotoviz screener but we need to look at this in the context i think of draft position because a lot of those guys that were under that size did nothing in the nfl because they were drafted very late or they went undrafted so if you look at players in round one Weighing less than 175 pounds. We only have Tavon Austin, Marquise Brown, and Dennis Northcutt. That is a name that uh, a lot of people out there probably aren't even familiar with. They went at a position of 8, 25, and 32. Their points per game in their first three seasons, you have Tavon Austin at 9.39. Hollywood Brown coming in around 11 points. And I know that some people have been disappointed with him. I'm sure we will talk about the fact that I think a lot of that has to do with just the way the Ravens run. Their offense, something we already talked about this week. And then Dennis Northcutt, just 7.73. So if we look at round two, you had Jacquez Green, Titus Young, Paul Richardson, Deshaun Jackson, and Roscoe Parrish. Green, 8.48 points per game. Titus Young, 9.43. Richardson, 5.37. Deshaun Jackson, 14.1. Roscoe Parrish, 4.96. That gives us just two players with more than 10 points per game. And that's Jackson and Hollywood. Uh, If you look at, though, the average per game of these players, you're round one guys averaging 9.37, round two, 8.47. Then you see a pretty big drop off after there where you're getting into around like four and a half to five points. What I would say, though, is you got to keep in mind that no matter what type of receiver you're looking at, there is going to be that big drop off. So when I digest those numbers, those make me a little bit more uh open to the idea that if Devonta Smith is as good as a receiver as it looks like he could be, he should be able to overcome the size issues. Of course, that's looking up to 175. If he does come in around like 162 versus coming in closer to 170, which we may never know what he actually is, that might be a different story. But could he be an outlier like Deshaun Jackson? Maybe. Maybe. Is Marquise Brown really that much of an outlier? I'm not sure that he's even really that much of an outlier. So as I digested these numbers, I became a little bit more comfortable with Devonta Smith, especially when you consider what he achieved in his college career uh, than I otherwise was. And I should say this is coming from a person that is super, super interested in Jalen Waddle. I have said that I'm not sure that if Waddle had remained healthy in 2020, Smith would have won the Heisman. Um, but nonetheless, I am less likely now to rule out Smith, as I said, because of his size. Where do you stand on Curtis? I know that you have a pretty, pretty, uh, passionate take on this.
3: De- Devonte Smith. Uh, he's one of the most impressive offensive skill players in college football history. So it's more to me, it is more likely that he is an outlier, uh, than it is that he's not an outlier. Um, and, and outliers are outliers because they're outliers. Like it's hard to see them until they, you know, they prove themselves in the NFL. And then you're like, Oh, of course, like this guy was brilliant and great. And of course he would continue to be brilliant and great. Um, when we look at his profile, like I, it's just tough to look past a profile when the literally the only marks are, um, age, which I think in Alabama, we can, start to begin to excuse because of, you know, things like teammate context um, and all of the, you know, highly drafted wide receivers that have come out of the program. We've seen the same thing impact the running backs at Alabama. Uh, we've seen some late breakouts or or actually some instances where we never really saw the breakouts from players like Kenyon Drake and Josh Jacobs, and they go on to be fine pros because they're held down by all the other five-star guys that are walking around, uh, you know, the, the Alabama complex all, all the time. So Devontae Smith, 99th percentile, uh, API score all-time power five leader in receiving touchdown pretty much owns every SEC receiving record and he is the only player uh, only wide receiver ever to win the AP player of the year award um, he is the only uh, Heisman Trophy winner at the position uh, since at least the year 2000 I believe Charles Woodson the last uh, that that primarily played wide receiver uh, to win it. But, you know, he was really kind of a, a do-it-all, jack-of-all-trades, returning uh, kickoffs and, and punt returns and also playing corner there. Uh, so I don't even really think it's that fair uh, to make that that uh, comparison. Like, Woodson won it because of his versatility, not because of his dominance at wide receiver. Um, Devontae Smith won it because of his dominance at wide receiver. Usually when a wide receiver has great stats in college, the quarterback gets all the credit. No one was get like Mac Jones he might be fine, but no one is saying that Mac Jones made Devonte Smith. He made every defense look silly. I mean, he hung four games worth of production on Ohio State uh in the first half of the national championship game against Sean Wade, who's probably going to be like a top sixty pick um and and probably was a first round pick uh until he just got absolutely exposed. In that game. So, you know, it's just one of those things where, you know, we're not going to pump him up above Jamar Chase because of, you know, Jamar Chase doing what he did at his age also in the same conference and having, you know, not having this weight issue uh, hanging over him or the age issue hanging over him. It's easy to, to tip the hat towards Jamar Chase, but if Jamar Chase wasn't in this class like in any other year, you know, Devontae Smith would be the consensus wide receiver one, um, even despite the weight, I truly feel that. So, uh, you know, it, if you're a risk averse drafter, uh, in dynasty, the good news is for you, you don't need to take the risk on Devontae Smith because there's a lot of other really, really good, really solid prospects at the position in this draft and you can just go a different direction. It's totally excusable to prefer like Rashad Bateman to Devontae Smith and just avoid the risk. But some of the other really awesome players at this position, uh, in this class also have some kind of weird stuff. Like Rondell <laughs> Rondell Moore is only five seven. All of a sudden, um, yep. and you know I, I, that that feels like okay. Well, is he an outlier too? How many outliers can there really be? Um, and so you know, I, I don't know where I'm at. Dave is I've got Devonte Smith as my wide receiver too. I don't think it's particularly close between him and the wide receiver three. Even though this class is really good. I'm willing to bet that one of the best college football wide receivers of all time in terms of a uh, single season, it's hard to point to a better season than what he just did in 2020. I think it, I feel good about saying he's an outlier versus some of these other players that played at smaller schools um and put up lesser stats at those smaller schools. Uh Just so many boxes are checked by Smith that, uh, oh, oh, and then the last thing I don't want to skip this. Yep. So Chad Johnson, Ocho Cinco came out and he's telling us that in the NFL, uh, he was play- in, in college and in the NFL early in his career, he was playing in the 170s. Like that was his weight. And like Chad Johnson has a borderline Hall of Fame, uh, Hall of Fame, uh, production uh, profile with Cincinnati actually helped get that team back to relevance, uh, in the kind of the mid 2000s. So, uh, Chad Ocho Cinco doesn't seem to think that the weight is as important as uh, what everyone's uh, cracking it up to be if the talent's there. And no one can deny that Devonta Smith is talented.
2: Yeah. I mean, there's a bunch of things to unpack there. I mean, we could probably talk about this for a long time. What it boils down to for me really is that when you're talking about players that could be outliers, lots of times they do not have any type of track record like the one that Smith has to support it. So like I said, with a player like... Marquise Brown. I can remember feeling like my concerns about his size were a lot more valid. When you were doing what Smith did against competition like Ohio State and then playing with the group of players that he did, even though I actually personally might like Jalen Waddle better, I don't think I can take it away from him. So hearing people talk about this caused me to dig in deeper. I saw a lot of the things that you just mentioned. And then hearing you talk about this, now passionate you got, I'm going to have a hard time wanting to fade Smith. now. I know I didn't put this in the show sheet, Curtis, but I'm interested in your thoughts on this. I see some people trying to make a case against both Waddle and Smith, given Henry Ruggs short NFL career that we've seen so far, and I don't think that those are comparisons that people should be drawing. I think that these are guys that look to me like they can do a lot more, right? I think that Ruggs was a different type of player, and to try to use... The fact that these might be very quick athletic guys and to pigeonhole them into this Henry Ruggs box just doesn't make sense.
3: No, that, those are, those are garbage takes, um, by people who feel burned for not listening to people like me who were saying that it was the most likely outcome for Henry Ruggs is that he would be a bust. He absolutely fit the profile of, you know, somebody with basically no production being vaulted up the board on athleticism only. Um, that is definitely not the case for Jalen Waddell or Devontae Smith. They have the production to back up their relative athletic talents. And, you know, they're not like, these are not guys who are being driven up the board for a single trait.
0: Yeah. So, you know, if you... We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, Wanna, if you want to lump them in with Henry Ruggs, you're doing it at your own
3: peril. I mean, you're you're missing out on a pair of exciting players. Um, you're not the only person I've heard make the argument for you know if, if Waddle hadn't been uh, injured, maybe it would have been him. You know, putting up these impressive stats. I think they both probably just would have dominated because I think they're both yep. really good. And Alabama had a really awesome year. Uh, it's just that you know Smith may have not broken every record in the book. Uh, because he wouldn't have had, you know, the entire, you know, receiving room to himself, essentially, yep. uh, as the year went on and, and Jones would have found ways to keep them both busy. So, um, yes, I, I love that point that you bring that up. Do not punish Devontae Smith or Jalen Waddle for the sins of Henry Ruggs.
1: Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns. Legends whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.
2: Yeah, it just did, does not make any sense to me, and I could go on for that for a while. But let's just move along before I get too fired up. All right, if you guys don't know, Curse is a major proponent of being super active in offering trades, being active... I would say pretty much constantly in dynasty leagues. Let's get this discussion going by, by just you outlining why you are so active in offering trades and why it's such a big part of your philosophy.
3: Yeah. And it starts in the startup, man. I, I mean, I want anyone who's in a league with me to feel the pressure to be active. Um, number one, it makes dynasty a lot more fun. Like the worst possible thing uh, about playing dynasty that will make it not fun is when like none of the teams are involved uh, people don't respond to trade offers. They're afraid, you know, afraid to go out on a limb. So, um, I'm out there, you know, I'm out there rolling the dice all the time and, and it, like literally I'm in a startup right now. Uh, it's only in the ninth round. I've already made five trades, including one, uh, instance where I traded away a player I drafted and another instance where I traded for a player that was previously drafted and then three were draft position, um, trades. And so, you know, because of that, uh, it, it spurs extra activity. Like one trade begets another trade. I think Sean uh, has famously said any trade that occurs, you know, is an instance where, you know, other teams are improving and you're not. Like you, basically if you, you're losing, if you're not part of a dynasty trade that went down in your league, you missed out on an opportunity to improve your team. I think there's a lot of truth in that. Um I, I want to be the guy in the league where when people are trying to make a move for the stretch run, the first guy they think about to come and make a trade with is me be active in the startup. And when you send trade offers um, that aren't like automatic declines um, and not even trade offers that are like, you know, Hey, well it'd be certainly great if they accepted this, but there's probably not a chance that they will. Like usually, unless you don't have a relationship with the other, other uh, manager, you still probably shouldn't even trade, like send those trades, like send trades that make you feel kind of uncomfortable that they would be accepted. Yeah. That's what helps people uh, think, uh, that you are, you know, a, a fair uh negotiator and then they can actually get a deal done. Um don't be afraid to take a little loss on getting the guy that you want on your team. If you're if the guy is is destined for breakout and there's process behind that, don't be afraid to pay tomorrow's price today. Um there's an example of that in my most recent uh dynasty article on the site and you yep. know there's an example where I did uh an exercise that uh, like that with with Noah Fant. Um another instance would be like with Antonio Gibson, another recent trade I made where I flipped Alvin Kamara in a package uh, where I also received Antonio Gibson coming back the other way. So don't be afraid to deal elite players. Don't be afraid to send lots and lots and lots of trades. I think last month I sent something like 50 trades across 11 or 12 leagues. And yeah, I want to feel that pressure. I want them to be looking to, to make, uh, you know, trades and improving their teams as well. And the more active other owners are, if I believe that I'm a better Dynasty player, the more moves other people make, probably the more mistakes they're going to make if I'm doing my job. So, uh, that, no, that's a confidence thing, may or may not be true. Um, I believe it to be true. Um, and so the more trades I make, the, the more chances I have for future wins as well. So you know, that's a lot of kind of only sort of organized thoughts on why I'm yep. so active. You know, uh, an object in motion wants to stay in motion, right? And so if I keep sending trades, it keeps me involved in my league and I think it keeps other guys involved too.
2: So that gives me a couple of thoughts that I hadn't even thought about, um, cause I really wanted you to run with this, but I am going to offer because I think that they're worthwhile to add here. Uh, John Bosch, who runs a bunch of dynasty leagues, all kinds of really cool leagues, mentioned this on Twitter the other night. And it's such a, such a valid point that if you, <laughs> if you are only making trades based upon like, the, the zeitgeist on a, uh, on a player at a time, like on his ADP, you're never going to set yourself ahead because you're always just going to be sticking to this market value, right? You, like you said, have to push yourself. If you believe in somebody that they're going to be better, you need to go and make the move, uh, you know, proactively to get the benefit of that trade. And I always hear people likening things to thinking about fantasy, like investing or like the stock market. I largely. Hate that analogy and disagree with it for a lot of reasons. And one of, one thing is that people never really follow that, or, that advice, right? Like a stock, if you think it's going to go up, you purchase it when it's lower. But people, when they're playing dynasty, want to stick with the market value and they, they don't want to speculate, which like you have to have some element of. So that's always bothered me. And I think that you make a lot of points there that speak to that. Now, one thing that you and I have been talking about, Curtis, is the concept of, Viewing a player's dynasty value in terms of rookie picks now one thing that I've actually been been curious about getting your take on is how many round one picks would be like the like the best dynasty player worth like could Christian McCaffrey, for example, ever be worth four first round picks because sometimes you see people float out ridiculous trades to try and get a player. Do you think that four is too much is the cap really like three? what do you think?
3: There's there's a lot of layers in that. Um, format matters. The number of starters matters. Um, the the scoring rules in your league matter. But if we're just saying a, a traditional, like today's most popular format, Superflex, Titan Premium, start 10 players, I think it's very difficult to envision more than four um, but I do think there's some, some examples of where a player would, would command four. And I also think those first probably all have to be in the same draft. Like I, I don't think that, you know, four firsts this year, two next year, you're not going to value those firsts the same. We know less about yep. who will be coming out, who will be injured, you know, who are, it's, you, you can't put the names on those players quite yet. And it's too far out to know where the slots are. So I, I would say four random firsts from the same year feels like the cap. I think if I had five first round picks and I sent that to any Patrick Mahomes owner in a super flex league, I think that would be accepted 80 to 90% of the time. That's, it's it's just such a huge number. Um, especially in a year like this year when you're going to come away maybe with three other quarterbacks, um, you know, with, with those, uh, with those five picks. So, you know, if, if we were looking for like a perfect dynasty valuation for like the most valuable a player could ever be. It would, it would probably be five, but then no one would actually ever achieve that value if that yeah. makes sense.
2: Yeah, perfectly fair. Um, so kind of shifting gears here for a trade that I personally have been trying to make that I want to get your thoughts on if there's anything I could do to improve this to make it more of a fair trade. I have been trying to move players like either Will Fuller and Keenan Allen and a couple of picks for Clyde Edwards Alaire. I want to get your thoughts on what I would have to do to make this a fair trade when I offer it up.
3: Okay. So this is one. So you mentioned ADP, uh, a couple nuggets ago, uh, yep. and, and the point that John Bosch was making. And this is an example of where, you know, running back inflation has Clyde Edwards Elaire as the most valuable player from an ADP perspective, but he's definitely not the most valuable player that you're talking about here. That's still Keenan Allen. I mean, Keenan Allen was. Wide receiver six and points per game in 2020. Uh, he has Justin Herbert, who just had the best rookie season by a quarterback ever. Um, that, that's very true. It's somehow not being talked about enough. Uh, and, and you're clearly on a path to, you know, a superstar ascension. Um, he's entering his, what will be his age 29 season. Um, it'll be his age 29 season of record. We'll turn 29 before the end of the year. Um, you know, but Rich Rebar and I talk about this a lot. You know, really, the, the age decline, the age cliff for the elite wide receivers really isn't until age 31, 32. So I, I think another season or two of wide receiver one production is, is, uh, realistic for Keenan Allen, especially given the context of, you know, where the team's going. Um, so it's kind of cool that he's worth less than Clyde Edwards Euler <laughs> here. If you're the, if you're the Clyde Edwards Euler owner, as I love the idea of accepting Keenan Allen plus a pick for Clyde Edwards Euler, they're basically two rounds apart and, yep. and start up ADP right now. And I, I think that that. You know, probably looks like something, a rookie pick in like the 11 to 14 and, you know, picks, uh, round one, round two turn is probably what it takes to make up that gap. And I think if you put a dynasty poll out there, all, I, I think it would have a very high concentration of preference to the king plus the late first side of that. Yeah. Um, so, but I think team context is important. So you speculating on Clyde Edwards-Elaire is a perfect example of buying in on a player. You know, when, you know, their upside is not baked in all the way to their value. And if, if the Chiefs use him in year two, like they used Damian Williams previously, uh, and he, you know, figures it out a little bit here. I mean, he certainly has top six running back upside and you'd be, you'd be buying him for what would be, you know, much lower price than what he would, uh, eventually be worth there. So, um, don't mind the idea. And, but if you're, if you're a competing team, I'd rather honestly just have you keep Allen. Will Fuller plus picks for CEH is much more interesting. Yep. Um, you know, we talked in a previous episode about Tua Tagovailoa and you know what does his path really look like? Well, you know, if he's not really uh all that uh you know the the scouts thought he was cracked up to be, maybe he can't support a player like Will Fuller. Maybe there is a limit um to who Will Fuller can make look good. And uh so I like the idea of moving off of him after a steroid suspension, after switching teams, after going to a younger quarterback and not being with Deshaun anymore, that feels like getting rid of risk on your roster, to be honest. Unfortunately, the gap between Fuller and CEH is much wider. I think you're going to have to pay something more like a mid-round rookie pick, probably like the 106, 107 range, uh, especially if it's super flex. So uh what do you think about those valuations? And does that change your idea of whether you want to do these trades? <laughs>
2: Um. No. I mean, I think that makes a lot of sense. I, I I think that the point that you hit on about Allen right now, um, being probably the player that I would rather retain on my roster makes a lot of sense. Will Fuller, I definitely think I'd be getting rid of risk. The one thing that I'm finding interesting is I feel like people, for whatever reason, are viewing Keenan Allen as being like a 33 year old player, at least in the in the those that I floated him out to, versus a guy that's going to be 29. And, and you know, you brought up the uh, the note about the context of a roster, so. This is a team where I have like basically just Jonathan Taylor at running back. I was rolling with him and Naheem Hines as my backs last year, was able to get to Cohn for basically nothing. Could use, thought I could use him as his backup. Now you have three backs in his, you know, in his backfield and then Hines might lose completely his value with Marlon Mack going back. Um, and I had like eight wide receivers that were all, you know, like top 24 guys. So it was like, you know, just trying to see if I could get one of them back to add that running back.
3: Yeah, what I'd probably do on a team like this, and and we don't have to completely roster bait this entire uh, episode.
2: People (laughs) don't want to
3: hear Dave Caven's roster woes um, here, but when you're that stacked at wide receiver, um, it might make sense to trade a more elite guy for a more elite running back. Honestly. I mean, Keenan's probably worth more to your roster than any others, and this is also a horrible time of year to trade an older player like this. Like, Keenan Allen will definitely be worth more on September 12th than he is today yep. uh, because, you know, he can score fantasy points for rosters at that point. And, you know, people really like to feel good when they click submit lineup. Um, so I would probably, you know, go to that roster, look at one of the guys who you feel a little bit less comfortable trading, but then also just aim higher than Clyde Edwards-Elair and your trade target.
2: All right. Perfectly, perfectly fair. I was going to ask you about guys that you're trying to go after, but we're going to come back to that in another episode because I want to make sure that we have time for a price check. Okay, let's talk about Mark Andrews. Is he an elite fantasy tight end at this current point in time?
3: I don't believe that he is. I think he's a very good one, uh, and he's an efficient one. Um, but we talked about this in a previous episode uh, with Marquis Hollywood Brown. Baltimore is just not going to give elite volume um, to either one of these guys. And it shows up in his consistency. And so I guess it de- depends on how we define elite. Um, yep. He's definitely elite uh, compared to – like he's above that – kind of fungibility line where it's like, you know, he's definitely above replacement level. He's adding something to your fantasy team, but we're comparing him to the gold standard of Travis Kelsey. Like, let's look at the last two fantasy seasons, uh, 2019, 2020 Travis Kelsey was a tight end one in 90% of weeks. Like that's, I don't even, I don't even know how to respond to it. like no <laughs> player is 90% positional tight, you know, one, uh, at their position. I mean, it's seriously nuts. Yeah, and and like you you go to a player who's being treated very similarly in terms of dynasty value. Since we're on dynasty in this episode, Darren Waller, uh impressive uh player, you know by his own uh, regard there, but tight end won in just sixty nine percent of weeks over the last two seasons, and Andrew Andrews comes in at sixty two percent of weeks. And so you know when you're not even finishing inside the top twelve, and the top twelve is a low bar to clear for tight end, he's not offering that week to week. Like Mark Andrews basically blows up. Uh, in games where opposing teams have uh, poor safety play and he's able to score a touchdown. Like, if he doesn't score a touchdown, he's not, not often getting to that 17, 18, 20-point range where he's actually bringing something, you know, uh, of a win percentage boost, win probability boost to your roster. So I would not pay elite fantasy tight end prices for him, um, and I really don't even like taking him at ADP, uh, but he is a player I'm very happy to take, uh, if he sl- in any any format, if he slides more than like a half round below ADP, so whether that's dynasty or best ball or redraft, you know, later on in the summer.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I am completely on board with your evaluation of Andrews. There, the thing that I want to point out quickly here is that he's a very good player. But it, like you said, he's just limited by what he can do. I mean, he had seven touchdowns last year on eighty-nine targets. Darren Waller had one hundred forty-six targets and nine touchdowns. The only player that put up more yards per reception than him was Travis Kelsey. He had it was tied for the second highest target share on his you know team percentage, twenty-five percent. Led all tight ends in air yards per target. Also had the second highest whopper. What it comes down to is he had the same amount of targets as Dalton Schultz, right? That's all you need to know of why he is capped. So super efficient player. I'd like to say that I could get more enthused about him, but the reality is, unless there is some mega tectonic shift in the way that Baltimore operates, it's just not going to happen.
3: Yeah. I think he, he actually, uh, what he had 27% of his team's receiving air yards. Like that was, he was tied in one. I mean, in, in that category, it's really, you know, when you look at his share of the Baltimore offense, it's a lot. It's just that their passing game pie is very small. And that's not going to change when Lamar Jackson, uh, still has youth on his side. And the, you know, the best way for Baltimore to beat teams is, you know, all of this RPO stuff yep. and, you know, ground and pound with J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards as well. They just, they just do that so, so effectively. And that's what Greg Roman's bread and butter is. There's no reason to think that's going to change this year. So don't overpay for a player like Andrews who has a lot of things, you know, stacked against him.
2: Yep. And that takes us to the end of our last episode of the week. Again, we will be back next week, Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday. Call 978-615-9214. Leave us a question or a comment. Get in the mix to win a Rotovis t-shirt. Curtis, our second week hosting together is in the books. Any closing thoughts for us?
3: So listen, if week one was kind of like an awkward first date, I mean, literally, guys, and, and gals, Dave and I had never recorded a podcast together ever. Um, and we also had some connectivity issues. We weren't able to, you know, see each other on video during those pods. I think we kind of got in there, felt out the situation. You know, we ended up going Dutch, who's gonna pay for the bill. Uh this week, just absolutely fire. Like I feel like the the chemistry's here, the energy's here. Uh, the show is just—it's a runaway freight train, and you don't want to miss it. Um, yeah, the RotoViz Fantasy Football Podcast—I mean, number one show in fantasy. Like I said last week, Joe Rogan, look out!
2: I think I—you know—we're coming for it. We are coming. Next thing you know, we're going to be making deals with Spotify, right? Ten years, ten mil, All ten right. mil per.
1: Let's
2: go. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Rotoviz Fantasy Football Show. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at DaveCabinFF and at CPatrickNFL. Email us at rotovizffshow at gmail.com. Visit rotoviz.com forward slash podcast for more information on listener-only discounts. And until next time, thanks for stopping by.
1: Sugar Ray Leonard.